0: This is Voice It. This podcast is all about showcasing talented people in the Clare Valley and the mid-north of South Australia who've built up businesses from scratch and have turned them into success stories. I'm Annabelle Homer. My guest today is a hard-working, honest, compassionate individual. She has also been described as clever funny, down to earth and blunt. She loves helping people and making a difference to people's lives. She despises mouth noises. I know that's a little bit quirky so don't chew loudly in her company and she loves a challenge so if you said she couldn't do something she would set out to prove you wrong. Her name
1: is Lissy Wood. When I left the farm I would have said I was quite the tomboy and I had aspirations to be a rouse about or a did love a bit of a pastime of catching goats. Yeah, look, I think if you asked enough questions around Kimber, there would be a few stories told.
0: (laughs) Lissy is originally from a farm near Kimber on Air Peninsula. She's a true blue country girl and apparently she was pretty wild too. But I'll let her tell you that story. Just a little bit of trivia, her grandfather was Arthur White, a state liberal politician who held his seat from the late 60s to the mid-80s. And her auntie is Caroline Schaefer, who also was a state liberal politician for 17 years. And no, Lissy had no intention of following those footsteps. Instead, she wanted to make her own way in the world. Lissy is a financial advisor in the Clare Valley. She started up her own business four years ago, Vestra Wealth. And another bit of trivia... Vestra is Greek for your, so it translates to your wealth. Pretty cool. Lissy has now two people working for her, Alice and Cherie. These two make the show run behind the scenes and Lissy says she couldn't do what she does without them. So these three musketeers now have clients right across South Australia and interstate. Also in the 2020 SA Woman Awards, she was the winner in the People's Choice for the all-rounder category. Lissy is also a mother of three girls and a wife to Ryan, or as everybody else calls him, Woody. Over the next half an hour, you'll get to know Lissy and what makes her tick and how she thrives in an industry that has its challenges. But before we talk money, COVID and Royal Commissions, let's head to the farm on the Eyre Peninsula, where it all started.
1: I couldn't have asked for a better childhood. And I think when you're in that childhood, you don't realise that anyone is any different, but we grew up on a large farming property and it was great. There were certain bits of isolation, but I think that's probably what's made our family so close now. And I look back on experiences of shifting sheep with granddad for days on horses and pulling up and you'd have a billy and a little fire and sing songs. And to me, I think I thought everyone else had that childhood and not till you grow up that you think, wow, I was very lucky. Who was your biggest
0: influence?
1: Definitely my father and then later in life I think I have probably realised how big an influence my grandfather had on me just words of wisdom that were given that as you're older you think ah that's why he taught me that.
0: (laughs) Can you remember some of those words of wisdom?
1: Uh, Yeah I think his biggest one I think one day obviously I made a passing judgment on somebody and was very quickly told off to tell me that everybody was born the same, but they all had a story to why they ended up where they did. And that it wasn't our place to judge. No. So, And I think I've taken that through life.
0: Your grandfather, Arthur White, he was and still is quite considered a legend in your part of the world over on the Air Peninsula. Why was he considered so much, this influential character?
1: Once again, I think as you get older, you realise what it is and it's something quite special in today's world, that he gave everybody his time. I think people are so busy to give time now. He was never in a hurry and always invite people over and was there for everybody and gave them his time.
0: What was his role in the community?
1: Oh, everything. What was his job?
0: (laughs) Was he a farmer? Was he a politician? Was he, what was he?
1: Yeah, both. (laughs) (laughs) Farmer, he was a stockman. He loved it. That's when he lost his arm at war. I think there was other jobs that were suggested, but he was going back to be on the farm. That is what he loved. From my understanding, he fell into politics because no one else wanted to do it and they needed someone to represent them. And he did quite the job of it <laughs> from yeah, everyone else's feedback. Like I say, he just was there to be the voice of the people.
0: And how long was he in politics for? 20 years. And so he was the, the local member for the Liberal Party? Yeah, and
1: was at Legislative Council. Mm-hmm. I was probably too young to truly understand what any of that meant.
0: <laughs> and you've got siblings? Yes. So tell me about your brothers and sisters.
1: Yeah, I've got an older brother, Jeremy. He's 18 months older than me. And then a sister, Emily. She's four years younger. And then Hamish is eight years younger than me. So my two brothers in conjunction with dad have got a pergola business in Adelaide. And um, funny enough, they've named it Yotana after our farming property. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because Yotana is a... Aboriginal saying for under a shady tree. So a resting place. Well, that's actually quite fitting then, being it, a pergola. It yeah. is. Yep. <laughs> are you all, all quite close? We are. Mm. Once again, I think, you know, when everyone talks about COVID last year and all the lockdowns and being stuck with each other's company, we all joked about it and went, that was our childhood. Like we had nowhere to go. <laughs> <when> <laughs> we'd have a blow up and then we'd be back friends because there wasn't someone else to play with. You know, that was, I think, Later in life, you realise that like, we can have one hell of an argument and my husband would probably say that we're a family of over-communication, but then we get over it straight away. It's just, yeah, there is nothing bubbling in the background. It's, yeah.
0: So after your time on the Air Peninsula, you moved to Adelaide, went to boarding school in Adelaide?
1: I did. Yeah, went to Loretto and I left the farm. I would have said I was quite the tomboy and I had aspirations to be a rouseabout about or a did love a bit of a pastime of catching goats. And then I think that's where Dad's like, I'm going to send you down to go on <laughs> to school with some cows and more. Would you
0: describe yourself as a bit bit wild? Were you a wild uh, country girl?
1: Uh, I th- yeah, look, I think if you n- asked enough questions around Kimber, there would be a few stories told.
0: <laughs> um, oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: love, I, I was quite the a devious child I would probably say um, and, and as I said earlier probably if you tell me I can't do it that was challenge accepted yeah.
0: <laughs> Can you give me an example of what trouble you used to get into?
1: I, I only came clean to mum and dad a couple of years ago where friends were in town used to have bushes as we called it and mum and dad said that I wasn't able to go so when they went to bed I took the car out of the shed I pushed it down the driveway so they wouldn't hear me start it I drove 30, 40 k's into town, I went out, (laughs) then I came home. How old were you? Let's say I was driving age. (laughs) Well, that could start
0: from 13. 17, I know. (laughs) 17? Yeah. You've been a financial advisor for 15 years. What inspired you to go down this path in the first place?
1: I was working for ANZ and I did some branch managing and I travelled overseas with my husband for 12 months. And then when I returned, I was approached by Luby, who was the head of financial advising, to ask, if they had such a shortage in country areas, would I be interested in studying and taking it on? I thought, eh, why not?
0: Was it something that you wanted to
1: do when you, you know, left school? I don't think so. I think it was just a challenge. Uh, she was probably someone that I admired that sat and encouraged me and thought that I would be really good at it. And at that stage... I was living in Keith with my husband, so I guess it was a career opportunity to do mm-hmm. something. What, and to what did
0: you want to do when you were younger?
1: It's funny. I finished school. I, I even went to see a clairvoyant and I asked them the same question. <laughs> Give me the answer. What am I meant to do? I don't... And what, um, did they, what did the clairvoyant say? You <laughs> can find that yourself, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I studied tourism and events management. I think I knew that I needed something that would take me back to the country. I loved being in a country town. I think by when I had started studying I knew that I was, had had enough of the city life and then I got offered the job working in the bank and then just progressed my way from there and f- fell into financial planning I would say.
0: You mentioned in a previous conversation that you would have been a farmer if you had the chance.
1: Oh definitely, yeah, I I loved it. I love everything about farming and I think that's what I enjoy with financial advising that I realise that maybe I don't necessarily have to farm to have an impact and I, I love working with farmers. Mm. Yep, there's so much. There's so many aspects of it and the business and the, obviously the successional, intergenerational change as I call it now to take that word. <laughs> it is such an interesting evolving industry.
0: Going back to financial planning and you said you were working at the banks in Keith. Yep. Did you just not like how the banks operated?
1: It was an amazing platform to learn. It's really sad that the banks have got out of financial advice now because I think it was just such a good way of taking young people that have finished uni and education. You were surrounded by so many other advisors that so you always had someone to call on or to learn from. But I found myself butting heads with the system and how they were, they were obviously unwinding it because they've predominantly got out of it now prior to me leaving and, yeah, I think I'd laid down a few threats if certain things were done and then sort of got to the point where it was like, oh, okay, I'll have to eat my words and I'll (laughs) go set up my own business Business. and do it the way (laughs) that I wanted it done. And I think, to be truly honest, I think for years I found that within the banking industry we were the voice of the people that we were helping and our voices were heard up the chain. But then eventually it did this shift where – everything was handed down from the top and the voice stopped getting heard from the ground up. And I think for me that if I couldn't do stuff to help my clients, then I had to go and do it myself.
0: So you were in full support of a banking royal commission?
1: Yeah, I think it was described to me by a good friend in the industry. He said it was like porn to financial planners watching weeks of this royal commission just roll by. And I, I found myself... Bluetoothing it, driving to people's places before an appointment and just, I didn't want to miss a minute of what took place and it needed the Royal Commission, unfortunately. You know, you wish people could just do the right thing and we never ever got there, but that wasn't going to happen, so.
0: So, what's been the fallout for your business, though, following the Royal Commission?
1: I'm really lucky in the fact that I probably started out, so... Lots of advisors received money on people's super balances. I never did that. So financially, I've had no impact. I've built my business around what the future was going to be rather than other people having to make changes, probably when it's a little bit late. It has caused massive upset within the industry. I think financial planning suicide rate last year was one of the highest. Australia, which is really sad because it obviously had an enormous impact on other people that they couldn't see, a way out of future. So we all have had to undertake and sit an exam, which has to be passed by the end of December, which is a four-hour exam, just to show that you've got basic knowledge within the industry. I I feel sorry for a lot of people that haven't sat in that exam environment. They might know it all, but that's probably not the best way Mm. to get their knowledge out. And then on top of that, we've all had to undertake further study, So, unless. On top of everything else that you're doing. (laughs) I know, yep. So, I'm undertaking my master's at the moment, which is. uh, It was pretty overwhelming to start. And I think now I'm nearing the other end where I'm finishing it. You think, oh, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) So, you have
0: to do that (laughs) to keep surviving.
1: Yep. So, that needs to be completed by 2024, which will have. There'll be a big exit, I would imagine, with a lot of people that have chosen, that'll probably just continue through to that time. And I think. The biggest impact that it's going to have on our industry is that we're going to lose a lot of wisdom and people that have been in the industry for so long. And there's no amount of study or book learning that could teach you... You know, we deal with insurance, so we constantly have claims where someone's passed away or mental health or you're dealing with retirees where they've lost a partner and you're trying to help them through. I think that emotional bit, and so it'll be sad to lose... I guess, the mentors of the industry in one big hit. And I think those young people need, need people like that to bounce off. What do I say? How do I... Like I said, there's a lot of stuff that comes with the job that you can't read in a book. You can't pre-learn it.
0: What challenges have you faced in the last four years, the major challenges, with setting up a
1: small business like the one that you've got? The administration and the cost. I just feel like our industry is quite a way behind in technology Lots of things are being built but nothing can capture everything and it's there is just so much downtime. You know, if I saw a new client on average, you know, you'd be looking at 30, 40 hours to get to the end result. They can leave your office and you think, oh, yeah, I know what I'm going to do but it's all the administration that sits behind the licensing layers and we've got bodies on bodies on bodies that we have to keep paying to be a part of the Tax Practitioners Board and FPA or ASIC levies, which I think they're trying to work on now to condense that. I think it's being heard that there is so much layers involved and so much red tape, as it's called, but they're not quite sure what the answers are because you you don't want to take away, I guess, what they've tried to do, which is bring the industry up. Every time you go to these conferences, everyone will talk about oh, you just need to find that niche market. But everyone's niche market at the moment is they just want people with large amounts of money so they can justify the fees. And I don't think that's what it was ever meant to be because I I love to be able to help everyone and you don't want to get to a point that you cost yourself out of that. And that, at the moment, if it continues as it is, that is the biggest concern for the industry, that there is only certain markets that will be able to afford The advice.
0: So are you alluding to the fact that financial advisors or some of them are self interested? They are just driven by greed, not having the client's best interests at heart.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And I, it was too easy to make easy money previously. And I think, you know, everyone's had to study a subject called ethics. To me, I just, I think I was probably dumbfounded. It was like, this was the stuff that I was raised with. Black or white, it was right or wrong. I didn't realise that there was this whole subject on ethics that was grey. And I think it was behaviour, you know. People might have started out doing the right thing, but then when everyone else around them wasn't, that was like, oh, well, I could probably get away with this. And that is what started. And I think it's every industry, it's not just financial advising. We were talking about this earlier. But where there is money to be made and human behaviour, you're never going to have it perfect, unfortunately. And that's in multiple industries within finance. And I I think if we went through all the professional industries of accounting and legal and had royal commissions, we would have the same issues everywhere. Yeah, it was just ours were highlighted for a a very long time.
0: I was reading through your client testimonials uh, where some of them have described you as having an honest, straightforward, to-the-point No rubbish approach, (laughs) which sounds like you in a nutshell in life generally. (laughs) So, would that be a fair assessment?
1: And that's why you are successful (laughs) in what you do is because you call a spade a spade? I think so. Because sometimes, and I I certainly have done it where I sit there with someone and you think, oh yeah, do that. And then I walk out and think, no, don't do that. That was silly. You have to go back and think, don't spend that money or don't, you know, let's. I think people want black and white. That's why they came. To see you. And in that, it's sometimes it's the negotiation of insurance companies and claims and bits and pieces that, yeah, I probably do go bullet a gate to do what's right by, by my people. Yeah. And then sometimes I think, oh, no, I've got to fix it for everybody, not just my client. <laughs> this system's wrong and I don't want anyone else going through this process.
0: What's some of the biggest mistakes people have made with their money?
1: Spending it all. <laughs> <laughs> living for the moment. I started through my 20s and I did not spend, used to hold on to my money pretty tightly. But then through life experiences and you start seeing where I've had clients lose partners or, and then you think, oh, okay, no, there's got to be a life balance between doing the things that make you happy and uh, achieving goals, but also saving money too. You, You don't want to get to the point where you think I've earned all of that. what have I got to show for it you still want something to show for all these years because work is time so if you give up your time to earn the money you kind of want to know that it was worth it Mm. yeah if you're just going to blow it all you could have spent that time doing something different
0: isn't the saying if you want to make money you got to take risks yeah
1: especially now (laughs) do you find
0: people are taking those risks or they're being a lot more conservative
1: with their money No, it's hard to make money in a conservative environment at the moment. And I feel really sorry for my retirees, you know, compared to, you know, years ago, you could have got a return on cash, whereas now you can't get a return on cash, which is meaning people having to enter into the share market. And I think that's contributing to why it is quite high at the moment. Yeah, it's a hard time when people come to you with money, trying to work out what, what is the conservative so what do Solution. you, what's your
0: advice? Is it, is it the share market? Is it real estate? What to do in this
1: environment where, you know, following COVID? This is where you just have to have really individual conversations with everyone. And everybody I always say, no one is the same. So everything comes back to your sleep test. What will you sleep at night? Oh, okay. It, so yeah, if it goes wrong, if the market drops, how far can it drop before you start not sleeping? Mm. What happens
0: if you're just a worry ward?
1: I know some people are. And some people have said, oh, I want to take my money out of the share market, put it into cash when it comes off. And you think, well, if you do that the first time, we're not putting it back in because you'll have the same reaction next time. So there's not a one-size-fits-all for anyone. It's like I said, it's everybody's sleep test.
0: Did a lot of people withdraw on their super following COVID because that was generally the advice that people should do if they had on money?
1: I had a few people... Ring, and some of them we had to workshop through stuff because they were going through really tough times. Mm. I certainly saw a few that had taken the money out that probably shouldn't have. Unfortunately, a lot of people took it out and spent it on... TVs? Upgrading cars, Yep, Yeah, so it, that, that is, that'll have a detrimental effect later down the track, and especially, you know, the last 12 months, some of the super funds, you know, we're seeing returns of around 20% and plus, so that's a lot of money that they've missed out on, and that compounds over some time. So it's not something tangible. No one will see. No one's going to give them the piece of paper when they retire to say this is what you could have had. <laughs> exactly. Had you not Yep. So people can just <laughs> accept that.
0: <laughs> have people come to you and you've thought, oh, what were you thinking? Like, Is there a lot of people out there that just have no idea what to do with their money and they just have made such bad decisions?
1: It's the... F- Broad part of it, you know, where lots of times people getting rung up by, the, you know, the investment companies and offering something too good to be true. And he, he, I just always say, yeah, it comes back to those few sayings where it's, you know, don't have all your eggs in one basket. And if it's too good to be true, Usually. it is. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, when, yeah, Warren Buffett, I think, read and it was, he's quite a believer of just following what the market does and the index. And I remember someone saying, you know, why do more people not take your advice? He said, because it's the slow and steady way. And people want to get there quicker, but you take an unnecessary risk. You have to be willing to lose that as well as gain. Hmm. I have had people that have lost significant money. And like I said, most of it's online approaches of fraud. And I've stood in rooms where they've got everyone to stand up and, you know, I think it was like one in 10 had been caught somehow. Yeah. As I said, it's too good to be true. It is. What's the next step for you, Lissy? Is there plans to get bigger? I don't have plans as such. I just will take each day as it comes. When I first went out, I had plans to be really big, but I think in probably reflection at the same time, I adore my clients, so I don't want to get too big that I can't spend that time with them. And you know, I watch my girls growing up and I don't want to be so busy that I miss them grow up too. So, you know, for the moment I think I, I'm i happy to continue at the speed that I am at but then probably look to grow and bring on junior people to help build um, the industry because everyone needs a leg up to start in this because it's, it is a really expensive business to be in and you've got to have someone that has the time to mentor and the financial backing to support. But I have two passions with my job and I I love the agricultural side and I, I really want to focus on the positives of people that did the succession, the communication and how, how you can still hold a family unit together and it doesn't have to end up breaking up. And I, I want to work on that piece but I also I found that my other strength and I changed my branding because of it when I read an article that eight out of ten females – will look for a female advisor when they've lost their partner or separated. And that's when, you know, my original colours were blue, grey and white, which, you know, Port Adelaide, (laughs) and I'm a Geelong supporter, so I should have just gone the blue and white. But I saw a marketing group and we were talking about it. You're in a male-dominated industry. Why are you blue? I mean, that's a good point. So now I'm purple. You know, I want to shout to the sky that I am a female and I'm doing it. By myself, and and to help those people that haven't had the confidence to see somebody else to make them feel comfortable. And sometimes you don't realize what your strengths are until you're in it, and someone compliments you for it that you can make them feel really comfortable. I
0: was going to ask you whether it was a it was still much a male dominated industry. Well, that wouldn't have held you back. I mean, that would be it, make you feel comfortable,
1: probably, wouldn't it? Yeah, it did. I think because it's really black and white. Sometimes those conversations in the room. At the same time, yeah, it's quite sad. And especially when you go to the business ownership ones, and I remember I got invited to this lunch a couple of years ago. It might surprise you, but I had a fair bit to say. <laughs> <And> <laughs> but then someone contacted me after and said, oh, you know, two of the males there want your contact detail because they want you to work for them. I said, well, did you tell them that I was self-employed? No, I never heard from them. But, you know, I think their instant assumption was that I was a young girl. That was an employee somewhere else. And there was another, I went to a conference. Oh, it's funny, you know, I it was back playing netball then. And I used to go out to netball training. I feel really old. And then luckily, I'd get to go to a furniture planning conference a couple of days later. And you're like, oh. <laughs> I feel really young. But I remember just walking into, and there would have been a 100 people, like just a sea of gray hair at that point. And I counted, and there was like three female heads in that room. And You look at that and you think, wow, this—it it is a bit sad that we haven't... Evolved. Yep. I think the biggest issue with that is our licensing costs are enormous. So there isn't a flexibility to be part-time in this business. And I think that is the biggest weakness of it, that it is very hard for females if they are trying to raise families and work part-time, that the overheads and the cost of running it is just too high. I really hope we do see change in that area but I think we're a little way off that
0: well what does you think your husband think of what you've achieved
1: yeah he's been my biggest supporter I don't think I probably would have ever been where I am without him and I need to thank him and I think I was probably a year or two years in when he realized that our family balance wasn't going to work of me running a business and him being so storefront so you know we end up with both of us self-employed to create a flexibility and I I am very grateful that I have someone that's in my corner that supports and understands. And I think the girls are really, really lucky to have a dad so present in their life also and encouraging because we're raising three girls and I want them to know that they could also be self-employed.
0: If he wasn't so present and if he wasn't on board as much as he is... Would it have made you not go down this path in the first place? Because as you said, you can't be a woman in this industry and work part-time. So if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be in this particular situation? Probably not and
1: probably wouldn't have believed in myself to do it either, you know. I think when all the study stuff, oh, I can't do it. And he's like, yeah, you can. He had to give me more than that? And it's like, no, you can do it. And I have and it's been fine. Mm. And we've just – it's something else that you just fit in. And, I, yeah, I think he's probably challenged me – the whole way through, which, which is good. Yeah, my biggest supporter and pusher through the whole thing. I don't I always say I'm not sure he signed up for the chaos that I have brought to his life, but at the same time, I think he did. He knew exactly what he was getting himself in
0: for. He prob- a he probably minute. secretly, <laughs> probably secretly loves it.
1: I know. I think I'm sort of like, oh, we've got a spare moment. Let's fit something else in. <laughs> we we'll, we'll regularly get them. We can't have anyone else over this weekend, but. He has been enormously encouraging. I'm very sport between him and my father, both my grandfathers. I don't think there was ever a moment where I've had a male in my life that's really told me I can't do something. And don't know whether I've found myself attracted to that, but to someone that's going to push you to be the best version of yourself.
0: Well, Lissy, thank you very much for joining me on Voice It. It's been so wonderful to hear more about you and get to know you and you're a very interesting and inspirational woman and i hope you go very well
1: thank you very much for having me annabelle